previously on the Dave and Steve show. When removing a corner panel revealed a stash of beer and chewing gum from the 1980s. Okay, was that a corner or cornhole? Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this Anything company does. has got a, like a brown lump on the and with the letters BM on it, probably doesn't sound that appetizing to me, frankly. Yeah, right, right. And you can see these are fairly hefty cans. I mean, yeah. I have stumpy little fingers, but the, I mean, this, these are decent cans. Does it sort of slide out or does it do that like? <laughs> it's moist, but it's not wet. To get out, you have to push that thing away from you, which made it go up. If you got any extra pictures of Prince Philip just rummaging around, if like he could be out in the garden or just sitting in, you know, a Barco lounge or whatever, whatever you have, um, I'd like to get some so I can throw me boomerang at it. Show number 2020 of the Dave and Steve Show. I am Dave, sitting right alongside me. I'm here 46, 46, 46, 27. 46 was the old number, right? 27 yeah. miles away is Steve. I was going to like sing a little a little thing, just, to, but but then that you set me up with that 46. Smooth I as butter. That, that your, your brain just, your brain went back like 11 years. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. And from Parts Unknown, the lovely and buxom Tracy. Well, I'm ready for some action tonight. So, wow. So this is uh, this is show number 20. We're going to kick things off tonight since it's show number 20 with a very special segment that we have. We actually conducted an interview earlier today with a gentleman by the name of Andy Mulvahill. Now, that name may not be familiar to you, or maybe it is. It depends on what region of the states you're from. If you're from the Northeast, you might actually remember that last name because Andy's dad, Gene, built and created a theme park that is very well known and is becoming more and more well known by the day, frankly. Uh, it's, an, it's a theme park called Action Park. It started in the late 70s. It has a reputation. It, if you actually go on YouTube and you search for Action Park, you will find lots of videos of people talking about this park and the experience of the park. And I would say, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound negative because it's not, it, the park is notorious. It has... This now very cult-like following, people that remember it very fondly from back in the day. And the reason for that is simply because Gene, who was Andy's dad, liked to build rides that were, in fact, right on the edge of being truly dangerous. And some would even say some of them might have stepped over the line now and then. But this, this, this action park was this incredible experience that could only have happened during that time period in our lives uh, none of us were ever fortunate enough to attend Action Park, to visit Action Park, but uh, there is a book out now that Andy has written that chronicles the entire thing. And the name of the book, it's a, it's a relatively long title, but it is Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park. So this is written from a kid who his dad built the park, he grew up in the park, he himself helped dig trenches and take tickets and was a lifeguard for a little while. So this is a guy who has firsthand experience at this park. And I think you guys both agree with me, right? This is, I went into this excited about this book anyway, because I had seen some of the YouTube videos on this and the book far exceeded my expectations. Yeah. The book was fantastic because it had a lot of surprises in it. 
and it was really rewarding. And I think you'll get a sense in this interview, kind of like who Andy is and what was important to him in these memories of this park. And I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. It was, it was, it was a lovely, uh, lovely bunch of minutes we spent with him. And, and I'm, I'm excited for you to hear the interview. It's it. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to listen to the interview again. It was really good. And I think you guys know us well enough. I think those of you listening who have listened to the show for a little while now, you know that if we read, see, hear something, watch something that we don't, I mean, Footloose is a prime example from a couple of weeks ago. If we don't <laughs> like something that we've watched or read or seen, we will absolutely be truthful with you and say, uh, it wasn't really my thing, wasn't really into it. This book was incredible, and I think, as you'll hear in the interview, it it would appeal to a very broad audience. So listen to the interview, listen to what Andy has to say about this crazy park, and then go out and take a look at the book, because it's a it's selling incredibly well, as you'll hear, and there's a reason why. It's a fantastic book. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into that interview segment, and then once the interview wraps, we're going to be back so that Tracy can bring you headlines, and we'll talk about a few other things. But right now, here's the interview with Mr. Andy Mulvahill from Action Park. So, Andy, right out of the gate, I, I wanted to ask, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the Dave and Steve show. I wanted to ask you if you could, I'll give you a very brief synopsis of sort of how we got to this position of having you on the show. A couple weeks back, I get this link. It's just a recommended YouTube link about this documentary for this thing called Action Park. All I knew about Action Park was this Johnny Knoxville Action Point movie that seemed similar, but I didn't really... When I saw this documentary link, I thought I had no idea that a place like this actually existed. I'm, I'm a Northwest kid. I, w I was born and raised in the Seattle area, Washington State. Didn't know anything about it. So I tell these guys on a show, I just saw this documentary about Action, Action Park. And Tracy had seen many things about Action Park. He was well-versed in it and said, I can't believe you've never heard of this before. So for those <laughs> yeah. like me who hadn't heard about it or haven't heard about it, can you just briefly describe what Action Park was? You know, what's probably the best is to just give you our saying, you know, there was nothing in the world that Action Park, like Action Park, where you were the center of the action. I mean, it was a place where in one day you could drive a race car, a speedboat, drive a, 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 a tank that shot balls at other tanks. You could go on a water slide with a jump. You could jump uh, out of a bungee tower. You could literally learn to fly. You could even go down a inverted water slide with a 360-degree loop, a toboggan down a mountain like uh, the Olympics. All of that in one day. It wasn't an amusement park. It was a participation park where you controlled what you were doing, and you were like, you controlled your own destination, and you controlled the thrill. And if you wanted to push it, you could push it. People loved the place. They came back in droves. And it had a great run. It went for 20 years. And I was right in the middle of it all. And uh, it was a blast. So, you know, watching that documentary, that short documentary on, on YouTube, which I'm sure you've seen, the thing that struck me the most is you had all of these people who had, there was a common thread through a lot of the stories, which was either they got injured, they knew somebody who got injured, not, not, not I mean, scrapes, bumps, those types of things. It wasn't like they were talking about anything super serious, but they were saying like, we would go and we would get an elbow scraped off one summer and it was such a badge of honor. We, we couldn't wait to go back and do it again. So it was this, like you say, it was this park. I, in the book, it mentions, it says, if something looks dangerous, that's because it is. You guys had that, <laughs> that sense of like making these things that people had the, the control over how far they wanted to push it. And when they pushed it too far, it almost felt like it just made them want more. 
Well, you know, um, people people really like to do things that are thrilling. You know, I this there's like a mix up that happens here. You know, look, the sensational thing is to say how dangerous it was, right? But that's and, and people say, oh, it was the danger that drew them in. All right, well, that's kind of like the sexy thing. But the truth is, it's like the thrill of it that drew people in. It was kind of like my dad took the idea of skiing and applied it to an amusement park. So if you want to go skiing, go down the bunny hill and go slow and be safe, you can. But if you want a real thrill, you go up to the top, you go down the steep, the deep, and the trees and the powder. That's fun. But guess what? It can be a little hairy. You can get hurt. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you do that, you know, your legs are burning, you're exhausted. Maybe you scared yourself. It feels good, man. And that's what Action Park was all about. It felt yeah. good. You mentioned, yeah, and go ahead, Tracy. one of the things that Andy, your book, my my wife bought. I just found out when uh, we got my wife had your book in our Amazon cart because she knew that I needed to read this book, <laughs> and because I grew up, my dad owned carnival rides, and so I traveled yeah. with him. And there was there was one situation in my youth where my we there was there was a tornado that took out part of our ride, and when it ha went through a cursory inspection, my dad, I was ten, put me on it to test it to make sure it was fine because <laughs> obviously no paying customer could ever pay attention. And so immediately I'm reading this, and the first chapter of your book gripped me tight because you're describing being at the top of this thing that is known the, as the cannonball loop. You're describing kind of what you're wearing and your dad, looking down at your dad, <laughs> waiting impatiently at the bottom. Can you kind of walk us through what the cannonball loop was and what your experience was there being one of the first to write it? Well, you know, the cannonball loop was, um, he actually did the cannonball first. The cannonball, it was a tube that was, you know, probably four feet high, almost four and a half feet high. It was big. And inside of it, a metal tube, right, with sections of, like, big metal tubing that was welded together to kind of form some curves. And inside of it was foam, and the foam was glued inside, and then there was vinyl painted on it, and then little kind of like fish lines uh, that would put the water through and drip down so the whole thing would be wet. And so we had done one where it was like a slide that went underground and then shot you out over about 10 feet of water, just called a cannonball. But my dad wanted to do something that everybody wants to do. It doesn't matter what the sport is, right? I think Tony Hawk was trying to do the 360-degree loop on the skateboard yeah. river, and he finally figured out how to do it. They've been doing it with motorcycles for years. Gene, my dad, wanted to do it with a water slide. So he built it. And... He, you know, what did he do? He just did a thing uh, that you could do because you had to, like, you didn't want a guy to fall out. So the tube made a lot of sense. And he did it. And he built it. And then we had to test it out. And he figured, why not send his 17-year-old sit? I had my hockey equipment, so I couldn't get too hurt. But I was a little nervous at the top because there were six of us. And I thought, you know, maybe my dad only wants five kids. Anyway, uh, I was scared to death. That was... There were very few rides that I would go on. In fact, I think that was the only one that really scared me, and I, I was hesitant. But he said go, so I went. And, uh, man, you go down that thing, you go, it's black, pitch black. So I go down this thing, and I'm roaring down. You go really fast, and then all of a sudden, it's like hitting a wall. You go up, and your stomach gets pulled through your throat, 
and then you go around and you get totally disoriented. And when I came out, I land. I was in the parking lot, probably on some mats and gravel. Thank God I had my hockey equipment on. I didn't know where I was. I was totally discombobulated. <laughs> that was a ride to survive, not one that you did for fun. Yeah, that's hard because you might do that to impress a girl, but that's hard to do to impress your dad. Um, maybe. <laughs> hey, man, you know. I wasn't trying to impress him. I was taking orders. He was a Marine, man. When he gave orders, you took them. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know what? I was fine. I came out fine. Nothing happened. Andy, this is this is one of the things. This is I was saying to Tracy before we we got on the air. This is one of the things that I absolutely loved about this book. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say, as I got into especially that sort of final chapter, the epilogue. I got emotional reading that. I had my father pass away at the beginning of the year. And so I was listening to or reading those stories of you and you and your your siblings at the church and sort of what you guys were going through and seeing that. And I said to Tracy, like, I had a dad who was effectively a farmer, right? He he did very blue collar things. And yet I had that experience when he passed. I can't imagine having a dad who took it upon himself and just kind of, as you say in the book, kind of came in one day and just said, I'm, I'm building this, not effectively at the time, an amusement park, but I'm building this gigantic ride at this ski slope and we're all going to do it. And we now own the ski slope and we're doing this thing. Like, And then to parlay that into this beloved amusement park that is obviously talked about and still just, you see the emotion from those people who describe that park on that video. People loved this place and your dad, that was his. And not only was that his, but you got the incredible experience of bonding with him throughout the years of building these rides. You talk about getting blisters on your hands, digging out that first ride and how difficult that work was. I mean, come on, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, I uh, I was fortunate to have a father like my father. I used to I used to tease my brothers and sisters and I said, you know, his whole career was centered around me because when I was, you know, old enough to learn to ski, he bought a ski area. And then when I became interested in girls, he got, a, he put it in a water park and I got to be the head lifeguard with girls running around. And then well, when I was 18, he imported a brewery from Germany and put it up right in front of me. So I never ran out of beer. Then when I was in my 20s, we got in the golf business. Everybody loves to play golf in their 20s. And then when beer becomes unfashionable and you like wine, he started a massive wine collection, one of the best wine sellers in the in the world. So it was for me, man. It, kid me, I was like so blessed to have my father as a father. It was just a great time. And I, I think I, you know, look, my dad was a, was not a typical person. He pushed the envelope. Some people don't like that about him. But I loved it about him. And uh, did he make mistakes? Yeah. Was he not perfect? No. But I can tell you this. he Whatever he did, he did it with great intentions he was a guy that loved people. He just wanted to entertain them. And he was willing to take a risk, and he's willing to let people take risks too. That was extremely unusual, and it actually created an extraordinary place by an extraordinary guy. You 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 mentioned in the book that one of the things that he had said was that he wanted to be the, the Walt Disney of New Jersey. Now, as I have sort of delved, delved into this deeper and understand – what this park meant, especially to the people of that region, I feel like that was accomplished. Do you feel like, was there anything where, do you feel like if you could ask your dad today, would he feel the same way that he, he pulled that off? You know, um, I think that that quote is, was when he was probably 
promoting the park or promoting himself in the park, you know, with the municipality and, and trying to build it up. I don't think that my father would ever really sincerely con consider comparing himself to Walt Disney. He used to think that Walt Disney was the gold standard as an operator. I mean, he always used to say, you know, look around, you go to Disney World, everywhere you look, it looks perfect. And there's not a wrapper on the ground. Everything's perfect. And the staff's perfect. So, you know, we would strive for that, but we didn't reach that. And he knew that he knew he couldn't really reach that because we simply weren't we're not financed well enough. We didn't have a big enough corporate machine. So will he strive to do something extraordinary and wonderful for people and give them a real experience? He did it in a different way. And he did it by doing these thrill rides. Uh, so as as I'm, you know, checking it out and learning more about it, this uh, I immediately am disappointed that I can't go. I'm I'm immediately <laughs> upset that I can't check it out. But there there was a there was a story uh, in the in the excerpt that I that I read about one of the employees stealing one of the Lola cars and then taken off um, on a joyride. And I'm like, I got to see video of that. And I'm I'm thinking there they didn't have video of that. I'm no. sure there's not video of that. But but it's that's a good thing. I, so. Then I got to thinking, what? How would the you know, the viral internet have driven this park if it was now, like, would it, would it have just been this? Uh, I mean, I feel like it, it would have been, you know, all kinds of videos coming in. This is great. It would have, I mean, it really would have sold itself virally on the, on the internet is what, what I think. But I mean, have you thought of like, you know, that in this new era? You know, I haven't. And that's, I mean, as you say it, I'm thinking about it and I know two things would have happened our tenants would have quadrupled and, <laughs> and the, the the politicians and the regulators and the governor and everybody would have come down on us like a ton of bricks because yeah. we would have been exposed. That's the other side. And, uh, so I don't know. I think maybe that wasn't such a bad thing that we didn't have cameras all over the place. But uh... <laughs> so, so what do you go ahead? Trace. One of the things I wanted to ask was that, and, and I've said this before, I tell stories to my children that they can't believe. They think I am making them up. And I know everybody my age, and I'm, I'm in my early 50s, everybody my age that grew up around my time knows what I'm talking about. But I think we live in a society a little bit that's a little obsessed with safety. And, uh, and that it's one of those things where Everybody that was interviewed or has talked about Action Park has not just nostalgic memories of it, but warm and wonderful memories because in that in those moments they felt alive. And maybe and so do you think like I know that kind of park can't exist right now, but do you think do you think what is the what do you think is the tipping point? Do you think we're more obsessed with safety or we're simply just more risk averse and we can't, nobody wants to do that kind of thing anymore. You know, um, people do take those risks uh, again. Uh, I mean, they still take those risks, but they don't do it in an amusement park. You know, think about it, extreme sports, you know, flipping, flipping uh, uh, snowmobiles in the air, you know, doing quadruple flips, riding mountain bikes down like insane stuff. Uh, doing aerials amount, it happens. It just doesn't happen in an amusement park. So there are the extreme people, right? But the general public, I think they're coddled. I think we're like way over-regulated. I think that, you know, oh, 
40 years of being taught, like, you know, the big brothers, like, watching us is all right. And that's what's going on in the schools, man. And I just don't think that there's the sense of personal responsibility. And I don't know that people could handle it these days to really say, hey, man, you know, it's it's on you. You know, um, I'm not saying everyone, but probably more so, uh, which is a shame. You know, it's really a shame because some of the best times I had were, you know, doing wild and fun things. Not necessarily things that were super dangerous, but some wild things that you wouldn't see kids do today. Yeah, and I've seen even my own kids when they're out riding bikes and they they wreck and it's a big thing to them. And I realize maybe even like what I've done to them a little bit, like they don't know how to wreck on a bike, like <laughs> just a bicycle, you know, just a just a garden variety <laughs> accident, something maybe we did maybe a hundred times. But I mean, there is that sense, I think, that uh, kids are more coddled now, but I think in some ways that makes Action Park really more of a unicorn, something that happened once in a once in a time and may never exist again, and uh, and makes it wonderful and makes your stories of it particularly more wonderful because the whole book actually kind of feels like like it says in the in the beginning where it was it was a. Uh, uh, it was a, a bit of a tribute to your father. Yeah, you know, um, I really, when I approached the project, I, I wanted to write, uh, there were, look, everybody that goes to Action Park has a story. I've got hundreds, and my friends have got <laughs> yeah, hundreds. Yeah. And so I wanted to pick the very best stories, and I wanted to make, put them in a book, and I really wanted to talk about the amusement park and about my father and what he accomplished. And when I put the book pitch together with Jake Rosin, who wrote it, who's a phenomenal writer, I'm so fortunate that i had the common sense to hire a professional to help me write this thing you know we put it out to penguin and they actually a lot of guys penguin picked up on it a great guy named sam Raym. i just have the most respect for our editor and um, he said look we got to tell it as a memoir from your perspective which was easy for me because i've been telling the stories for years and um there were some fun things that happened to me that we kind of snuck into the book that weren't directly action park related and they cut, they cut a lot of it out, but there were some good stories. I'm like, I don't care. I want that story in the book. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, it, it turned out well. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know what else there's to say other than you got to go buy the book, man. During these COVID times when you're locked down, you want to escape? I promise you, this book yeah. will let you escape, man. <laughs> uh, so just as a reminder, the name of the book, and it's a mouthful, it's Action Park. Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park. But if you go on Amazon and you just search for Action Park book, you're going to find it. I was, I was saying to Tracy before you jumped on, Andy, I was looking. So not only is the book number one in the performing arts industry section of Amazon, number one in documentary movies. At, this morning when I checked, it was number two in theme park travel guides. It has now jumped to number one even in theme park travel guides. So it is... It's number one across a, a multiple categories in Amazon. Dave, which book did it eclipse? It, well, I, I, <laughs> I had that up earlier today. Hang on. Yeah, that's that's a that's a crazy crossover um, bunch of categories too. That's it, great. It it's was, also number three in cookbooks. Right. <laughs> it took over the number one spot from Disney devotionals. One hundred daily devotionals based on the Walt Disney World attractions. I don't. I have no desire to read that one, but you guys know how many books you can uh, are listed on Amazon right now. Eight million. There's eight million books that you could buy on Amazon. 
we broke into the top 200, which I thought was pretty yeah, cool. That's crazy. That's huge. That yeah. is so, huge. And, and, and it is, again, I didn't know what to expect going into this book. I was, I frankly was worried that this book was going to be a lot of, frankly, you being defensive, saying like, uh, it wasn't as bad as people made it sound. I can't believe people, you know, they want to, they want to buy into this whole legacy of, oh my gosh, it was this scary place, Traction Park, all these different things. When I started to read your book, you were you're incredibly honest in this book. You don't pull you any punches, yeah. yeah, frankly, about anything. And and it was really refreshing just to see you be that honest and just tell these stories for what they were. It was a time period in our life where those types of things not only were allowed, they were encouraged, and people had a lot of fun doing it. You know, the the it, it, it's not hard to tell the truth when you're comfortable with the truth, you know. Um, and frankly, I was brought up that that's the kind of way that you conduct our, yourselves. You know, my, my dad, for all the wildness he was, as I said, he was a Marine. You know, he went to church every Sunday. And, you know, the family sat down for dinners almost every night and absolutely every Sunday night. So we were a very structured, you know, family unit. And he was a very uh, caring guy. But, he look, he just wanted to do something extraordinary. And, and he did make some mistakes. You know, he was really aggressive about the way he insured the place. Um, but you know, if he had that insurance policy with any other tenant, other than the fact that his tenant was the state of New Jersey, he would have simply been either kicked out, you know, they would have terminated the lease or they would have made him get a new insurance policy. He wouldn't have gotten indicted. Like he got indicted, uh, with New Jersey, but ultimately he got exonerated after the fact he did get, he did get convicted and, uh, was probation. In fact, I've met the sentencing judge years later. He's in my wife's choir group. That was talking to him. He's like, well, I could have sent your dad to jail, but you know, they didn't recommend that I do that, so I didn't. <laughs> well, and that was one of the things, you know, especially in the in the latter portion of that book and and that last chapter that I was referencing, is one of the things that you talked about is that, you know, your dad was maybe seen as this wild man, this guy who had this crazy theme park and all these different things, but your dad was extremely caring and did a lot of things for a lot of people. You talk about the gentleman who became a prison chaplain and your dad sent him unsolicited, effectively, checks to help him out while he was doing that. Repairing the roof of the church, all those types of things. Those, That is not somebody who isn't, isn't caring. And so th that's what I really liked is that, especially because now I've gone, read a lot about this. I've watched a lot of various YouTube clips and things like that. And I think people like to paint your dad into this light of him being this crazy man who didn't care about the people of the park. He just wanted, he wanted as many patrons as he could. And if people got hurt, hurt be damned. That's just the way it was. And that's not, that's not who your dad was. Now that I've read this book, your dad was an incredibly caring and giving person. He just happened to have a crazy theme park. Yeah. Look, you know, it's not, it's not good business to hurt people, right? If you want to make a lot of <laughs> yeah. money, it doesn't help you to hurt people, but you know, they, in this, there's an, actually another documentary that's coming out on the 28th, which is done by the same guy that did the short one. There's a 90-minute one. He asked me to participate, this guy, Seth Burgess, but his budget was 50 grand, and he really didn't seem to come clean to me as to what he was doing. He even asked me to participate after he finished filming, and I said, well, then show it to me. Let me see it. I want to know what I'm going to get involved with, yep. and he wouldn't. And I, th I think the thing's a total hit job on my father, which is fine. I, you know, I don't, I don't really care. Cause I, I know who he was and, and you want to really know what happened, read the book. Cause it's right. all in there. Honest. 
So uh, I'm, I've kind of lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, no, I never. I and that's that the documentary that's coming out. I think that's the one that's going to be on HBO. I, that right. that that book as i read through the book there was never a spot in that book where i felt like you were pulling any punches or effectively trying to trying to misdirect people it's it's well, so... no, I, I remember my point now so in that documentary in the clip the guy says uh oh you know people di someone died in the wave pool i mean what are you stupid why didn't you close the wave pool and it's like well what are you stupid you think they closed the jersey shore if someone drowns down there right look <laughs> everything we could to protect people but we were pulling out 30 50 people a day we had people that would go in the water that did not know how to swim and it doesn't take long to drop to actually gulp some water and become incapacitated that can happen very quickly so you know we killed ourselves to make it safe but you know you can only do so much and unfortunately i mean i think last year something like uh, 37 people drowned at the jersey shore I mean, 37 people, they didn't close the Jersey Shore. I mean, it doesn't, it's not an excuse for what happened, but it's just, it kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. Well, and I think when you're, when you're one of the early ones doing this, right, there's you, a lot of other people that are running supposedly safe parks are really standing on the shoulders of giants because a lot of things have been learned in the meantime about how to do things. And I know, I remember uh, my father in the late 70s, he finally had to get certified on how to fix rides because there were regulators that came in and that were going to teach him like how to make sure that the the door on the zipper didn't fly open and kids didn't go streaming across the the amusement park. And that was a different time. There was there were there were lessons learned along the way to improve things. And everybody looks back like they had the the all the right answers on safety all along and that all the lessons that were learned along the way by people who paved the way for them to be able to do the kind of business that they are in like that never happened and you know so that that is so target on and it's a point that i do bring up a lot my dad was a pioneer in what he was doing he didn't really even know what he was doing when he got started i mean they were like no water parks, let alone motor worlds and Alpine centers and all that he did. So he was trying to figure it out as he went along. And it, it, believe me, it wasn't easy. He didn't, he couldn't go and say, oh, I'd like to put, I'll oh, have a water, a water course go down the mountain or like a water slide. And he could go like today, you go to seven or eight different manufacturers of water slides that have <laughs> yeah. engineered and all that. Yeah. There was none of that back then. You wanted to do, you got to usually like build it yourself or buy it from a guy that had just had an idea and was figuring it out. So you're so right. It, it was all, and I, here's a great story. So as we're lifeguarding and we're like trying to figure this all out and it's like overwhelming, I'm like, there's gotta be some professional outfit out there that, you know, maybe has more experience of this than we do. And I found this service called Jeff Ellison Associates and we brought him up and the guy showed up and we, the first time he sat down, he was saying things that didn't quite make sense to us. And so my guys asked him, how many, how many saves have you made yourself? And the guy's like, well, I haven't ever made any. And each of these guys sitting at the meeting had like pulled 30 out people out a day. They thought that they were like, you know, the the, the Navy SEALs of lifeguarding. Yeah, yeah. But that, that guy, he wasn't great that day. And he ended up leaving because I think he found it overwhelming. But ultimately, he built a phenomenal company. And he trains the lifeguards in the whole water park industry now. And he invented a technique that's like phenomenal. 
because so so here's a simple idea right and so this is like on building on the backs of giants so the so your lifeguard's up in the stand you, you got to let him wear sunglasses the sun's blaring you can't see his eyes you don't know if he's asleep stone not paying attention what did this guy ellis come up with the head bob what you do is you have to bob your head as you're looking at the pool so you're looking at all areas and then you scan back around and the kids have to do that the whole time they're in the chair and to me i think that's phenomenal i mean it was genius i wish i had thought of it anyway (laughs) you should get residuals or or some kind of you know uh, royalty off of that because I I was at the uh, the little water park at uh, the Disney um, place in Hawaii last year and and I saw the head bob on every one of them and I and I thought it was kind of odd so uh, let let if you're still in contact let them know that Disney owes them a whole bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, so let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about because one of the things I don't I, I want to make sure that we do again for those who don't know what Action Park is or or haven't ever experienced Action Park they can go out and they can search for the videos and all that. But I want to, could you maybe describe like your top, I'd say your top three rides that got, or maybe two rides, whatever, that got people talking about that park. You mentioned the loop at the beginning and how crazy that was, and you had to test that. What else, what really got, what kind of put you guys on the map and had people talking about you? Well, you know, my father, the first ride he bought, which was genius, and it was there the whole time, was the Alpine Slide. So the Alpine Slide, was imagine go doing when you watch the olympics and you see these guys go down the toboggan rides effectively that was the alpine slide but it wasn't in the winter it was in the summer so there was a track that was made out of um fiberglass and asbestos believe it or not and the, the track had banks on and you would go down in a cart and the cart was was you know for pretty small your body would just fit in it and if you pushed your handle forward wheels would pop out and you'd go fast if you pulled it back the wheels came up and pads came down and slowed you down to a stop. So you controlled how fast you went, and it was a blast. I mean, you could roar down that thing like it was, like, unbelievable. And uh, you could come out. You could actually fly out of the thing and crash up and, you know, beat yourself up. But the thing it was famous for is if you just, like, kind of lost your balance a little and put, like, your elbow out or your arm out to, like, keep from falling over, it would just take the skin right off of your arm. And so people got these burns, <laughs> and it's like a thing was coming to school on Monday, and they all say, "Hey, you were at Action Park, and I can tell." But they, we were actually giving out free tattoos before right. tattoos became famous. But that was a phenomenal ride. Surf Hill was probably m- one of my favorite rides. That was a giant slip and slide, like giant, massive, with ten lanes, and you know, a couple fo- like a couple football fields long. It was really long down a hill and you could race your buddy but what was really fun is on the far end we built a jump there was like a ramp and it got real steep after the jump so you would hit the ramp fly through the air and you'd land really steep and slick so it didn't hurt and i got to the point where i could do flips we would and of course when we one thing i would do is i would uh to impress some of my buddies and sometimes a few ladies would bring them in after the park was closed. So I never forget, I brought my college roommate Adam up there. And he was a madman. And we adjusted the jump to go up. And I said, but don't go all the way to the top. You'll die. And he went to the top. But unbeknownst uh-huh. to me, I wasn't paying attention. He came down. I thought he was dead. He was like three feet in the air. But, man, well, it was a good time. I love that. The Colorado River, we – I mean, we built a ride with a river where you had rafts that went down and 
it was really crazy the amount of water we put down that thing. Ah, jumping off the cliff, Tarzan swing, swinging like Tarzan. But the one of the great things is the cliff jump. So we had this huge, huge grotto my dad built. He cut it out of the mountain. And there's trees everywhere, so it's really natural. And it was nothing's white. It's all, like, brown and, and uh, no, like, regular stairs, all kind of, like, rock stairs and, like, no railings. Like, when we opened it up, I'm like, Dad, you got to put some railings. She's like, no. I'm like, people are going to jump on each other. because goes, nah, they won't. We'll be fine. <laughs> but anyway, there's a cliff jump where you jump from this super high cliff. And where are you standing? Everybody can see you. And then if you're in, like, Vermont, you don't jump. It's okay. Or, like, in the Midwest, you know, no one says anything. But if you're in New York or New Jersey and you get up there to jump and you chicken out, there's 500 people screaming at you. Jump, jump, jump. So it it was a fun. The race cars, you know, trying to beat your buddy and go faster. The go-karts cut your buddy off. The speedboats, you go around in a speedboat. And you're supposed to come in when you're done. But we couldn't control people coming in. So we'd like, come in. And the New Yorkers are like, I'm not coming in. Just coming in. <laughs> like, like every day, all day long, all summer long. And this is all like what I really like about the book is how much time you devote to each of these rides, explaining what they were and explaining just how crazy they were. And there's there's photos in the book as well. The slide that you mentioned that your friend got some air on. There's a there's a picture in the book of a guy. I don't know who it is, but he looks like he's he's easily. I'm I'm probably underestimating greatly, but it looks like he's 12 feet off the surface of that thing with nothing underneath him, but it looks like some kind of little rubber flimsy mat that he's got. It looks yeah. like the most incredible. And that's, that is what is so amazing about this book is I think if you're a little bit younger than we are, you can read a book like this and you can realize just how awesome things used to be because there were no rules that you could, you could do not no rules, but you could do things like this. It's it was the the age of lawn darts and action park. If you're a little bit older, like we are, you understand just how awesome that used to be to be able to do those types of things. And so this book has appeal for everybody because the stories. As I was reading this book, having seen the videos, having read up online, I'm reading this book, and I'm still as I'm reading the book, I'm I'm thinking, now oh, this is this no way, but it all happened. It is not a work of fiction. This all happened, and that's what's that's what's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it uh, like this this guy's documentary he's doing. There's a bunch of made up stuff in there. A guy talks about going off the Tarzan swing and pulling his pants down and mooning people. You actually physically couldn't do that because you're not. No one's strong enough to go off a Tarzan swing with one arm. Yeah. But the, the real stories are so incredible. You don't need to make stuff up. Um, but I tell you, the Tarzan swing is a great example of what we've been talking about, how things have changed. So Tarzan swing. So think about it, a rope tied to a branch and you swing it out over water into a stream or a lake or a pool. Kids do that all over the country. They've been doing it for a hundred, probably a thousand years. Right. Action Park had that ride for the whole time. And even after we closed, they kept that ride. Do you know that the state of New Jersey, after that ride being open for 40 years, decided two years ago that it's not safe anymore. It's crazy. You know why? Because if you have a bad shoulder and you go down, it, <laughs> you could dislocate your shoulder. Or if you have a bad back and you land funny, you could hurt your back. Or after 10,000 rides, a guy could go, the 10,001 guy could go and just land kind of funny and hurt himself a little bit. Does that mean no one should be allowed to swing on a swing and land in water? Well, apparently 
Big Brother in the state of New Jersey, they think so. Man, I don't think so. <laughs> it is it is one of those things where like you said, people have been doing this. Uh, you can go right now here in the state of Washington. You can go to any river, any stream, any lake, and there's going to be a rope hanging from a tree somewhere with kids jumping off of it. They do it all around the world. They do it everywhere. And you guys did that for so long that if you had to, if you had to estimate how many, how many like serious injuries do you think happened as a result of the Tarzan swing? With, without a pre-existing, like a guy that had like right. a yeah. broken back already? Yeah, exactly. None. Yeah, exactly. None. That's None. my point. Yeah, that's my point is that unless there were some extenuating circumstances, nobody got hurt on that ride. But, but think about skiing, right? Skiing is a blast. It's a lot of fun. You can die skiing. You can ski into a, cli- into a tree, into someone else off a cliff. Does that mean people shouldn't ski? Right. Come on, man. Right. Yeah, yeah I, Dave, Dave literally almost watched me die skiing yeah, one time. Yeah, no, yeah. We won't go into it, but yeah, yeah that's I, it's a great point. Well, yeah. Andy, I, I know we, we originally said just 20 minutes of your time. I, I could talk to you all day about this stuff because this is incredible. Yeah. So if you, if you ever have free time and you want to come back on the show, we would love to have you because – You the, tell me when you guys want me back. I'll come on. You guys are a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot more we can talk about. Uh, yeah. A lot of – that are not in the book that are on the cutting room floor. Awesome. Uh, well, and that's what I was going to say. I, I, that's it, the exact parlay I was going to make is I would love to hear some of the cutting room floor stories next time to hear some of those things because you read this book, everybody, I'm not blowing smoke because we've got Andy on the show. This book, you won't believe that this place existed and the things that happened within the walls of these parks, w- within the wall of this park. So you have to read this book. Trust me on this one. Tracy already mentioned Amber had it on his list. This is one of those books that it's unbelievable. So to hear that there were stories that didn't make the cut, I would love to hear those stories. Yeah, but also, <laughs> exactly. also hidden, hidden away among these stories is a, a really wonderful tribute to a son that loved his dad and a man who sounded like a really amazing person. And so that is a very uh, made it a very rewarding experience. I, I thank you for saying that because, you know, you got to read the whole book to get the whole story and really to understand my father completely. There's a lot of annex and a lot of fun in there, but it, it's really, it tells you a story about a guy that was a great entrepreneur and yeah. how I was stumbled through life trying to figure out who he was and how he directed me. And, and you know, he had very few rules in life. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because it really is a lot about my feelings towards my father and, and what made him really a great man and a great entrepreneur. And, a great American pioneer. And I think people will enjoy reading about this guy. Absolutely. So folks, the book is action park, fast times, wild rides, and the untold story of America's most dangerous amusement park. Andy Mulvihill, Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, this was fun guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Now you can make money safely and securely from the privacy of your own home. Introducing Cash for Cash, the easy and affordable way to turn your unwanted bills and coins into cash now. I didn't know what I was going to do with all the insurance money I got from my husband's death, so I sent it into Cash for Cash, and in just a couple of days, I had all the money I needed to pay my bills. And Cash for Cash is easy to use. Simply mail your unwanted bills and coins to us in the patented Easy True Scam Mailer and Cash for Cash will promptly send you a check in the mail, minus shipping and handling and a small processing fee. After I found that coffee can in the backyard, I thought, ain't no way I'm going to be able to do anything with this old money. 
but Cash for Cash sent me brand new money in exchange and I was able to take the old lady out for a nice dinner. So if you've got worn out, slightly torn, or even marked bills and coins, Cash for Cash has the solution for you. Recent studies show that dollar for dollar value has never been higher, so now is the time. Cash for Cash, where the smart money is. We are back on the Dave and Steve show. Again, I want to thank Mr. Andy Bovahill for being on the show. Uh, we, After the, the interview concluded, we talked to him a little bit further off the air. And Andy, he's <laughs> he was the first to say he's got some cutting room floor stories that did not make the book. And he was very he was mysterious, but in a really cool way as far as they might have been too salacious, frankly, to be in the book. And so Andy is offered up coming back on at a later date and sharing some of those stories with us, as well as some yeah. other information that he's got um, that he wants to kind of keep close to the vest for now. So any, any guesses on what some of those stories are going to be um, like? <laughs> I, I'm going to bet that somewhere there's a box of fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And something a like, halter top. Yeah. Like, OK, yeah, there we go. Yeah, not. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, we're going to keep the show going, but I wanted to mention right at the, right at the top of the show during the intro, I said a mere 46 miles away. And that was when we did the original incarnation of the show. Steve didn't live where he does now. I didn't live where I do now. And so he was 46 miles away. And that's the way I would always start the intro. A mere 46 miles away is Steve. So now I'm 27 miles away. And I still can't, I say 26 sometimes, but I've almost caught you. But Dave, that was that was nearly nine years ago or so. Right. So I have this. Here's the mental quirk I have. I I have these things, and maybe we all do. I haven't really ever talked to anybody about this. I have these things that enter my head and get stuck in my head and, and have been there for life. There are just certain things that, whether I used to sing them as a kid, they were a commercial, they were a jingle, whatever. And as I'm walking around the house doing just various things, one of these things will pop into my head and I will recite it. One of those items is the original intro from the show. I will be doing stuff around the house and I will just say, I'll just pick a number. Show number eight of the Dave and Steve show. I am Dave sitting right alongside me and I kind of mumble it to myself. I obviously don't do it that loud. And that, but I, I will say, you know, show number eight of the Dave and Steve show. I am Dave sitting right alongside me and I kind of am mumbling it while I'm doing these things. And I do the, mm. I do the original version. I do the 46 miles away and I go through, we used to have other hosts on this show and I go through the long form version of it where I introduce everybody. And then when I get done with it, it's almost like in the office when the character Andy has to complete the song in order for it to like release his brain. <laughs> I have to go through, if it enters my head, I have to say the whole thing. And I'm sure, listen, I know for a fact I have some touch of maybe not even a touch of OCD. When I sit down at a table, for example, I have to get all the utensils nice and straight. I have to sort of line everything up. That kind of stuff freaks me out. So this is one of those things where if it enters my head, I got to finish saying it. And then once I've said it all the way through, then I'm, I'm good. I move on. Dave, I so totally understand is... this because I used to have a cat that when I scratched him <laughs> by his tail, right? he bit his paws. Sure. So it's the same thing. It's identical. Really, if you think about it. So the rule is, Dave, if it enters your head, it must be said. So wow. Yeah, I know. I put the, I, I wrote that down earlier and brought <laughs> that back. That's not um, too bad. So have you talked to a professional about this? Because 
you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're wandering around, you're mumbling stuff from nine years ago. You might want to go ask if you can uh, take that test where you have to draw a clock or identify an elephant. The reason I bring this up is because today this happened to me. I was cleaning up. I was straightening my office here at, at my house and it popped in my head and I did the 46 miles. So I had just recently done that. And then tonight when the show kicked off, I guess it was still just sort of burned into my head. So I did the 46 miles again. It's a weird, I know it's a weird quirk, but it, it is what it is. Well, I think it's beautiful and it's what makes you, you. Right. That's exa- <laughs> that's exactly, yeah, I'm still standing by the cat thing. Exactly <laughs> what it is. Hey, Tracy, I noticed uh, today on Facebook and then we're going to get into the headlines, but I just wanted to touch real quick. So I noticed today on Facebook because we were going to have Andy on the show that you made a post on Facebook saying, share your your theme park horror stories with me. Yeah. Um, or amusement park, I guess. Um, did you get any good ones back from that? Yeah, I got a couple of good ones and a couple that I was kind of expecting because they're not too unusual. Uh, the zipper door opening, uh, that's a thing that happened for sure. That, okay, so that I, in the middle of the uh, interview, I wanted to ask you, what ride did your did your dad have and was it a zipper no it was uh my dad had a a ride that was called the swinger (laughs) (laughs) and so basically it was a swing swing ride uh and it was um uh it uh was basically just had a, a row of two um several rows of two uh uh swings that kind of went around it and uh he, that's uh he um he uh half owned it he and i traveled with him several summers with it and uh, it, that it, was a ride that i i i as soon as he fired it up in the morning i was on it eventually he, he sold his half share off in that ride and bought his next ride key party yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah swinger just meant uh you know it was the 70s so that uh it was a take on that so um yeah so that was a, a ride that uh i have many many hours on yeah it's crazy uh so we're gonna i the the thing that steve and i are gonna share this story now i don't even know if we shared this on the original version of the show and tracy i'm not sure if we've told you this so there was a ride I go ahead we did i okay. think we did there was, I, I know i wrote about it there was a ride called the skydiver this ride, you sat in these little two-seater carts, and you had a wheel that sat between the two of you. It was as, as though, think of just a normal automobile, but instead of the wheel being on the left or the right-hand side, it's in the justified, middle. it's yeah. right in the middle. And under the little cart that you sat in, this was a fully enclosed, so think of like a, almost like a fully enclosed golf cart, almost. Like a, it was a pod with a proper windshield, and, and it was shaped sort of like a, a almost like the front of a, a space shuttle. Um like a little it's like a mini cooper right 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 like a mini cooper with no wheels and this ride had a bar that ran through it directly under the wheel and directly through this sort of the where your feet sat there was a little spot where the the bar ran through and you were on a ferris wheel you were effectively on a big ferris wheel so if you didn't hold the wheel and you just let the wheel go as you went up the ferris wheel and crested on the top the cart would flip upside down because that bar it was it was top heavy and so it'd flip upside down and then as you came back down as you got towards the bottom it would flip around again 
And so, and it was, if I remember correctly, Steve, it was much larger than the Ferris wheel. Maybe that's just in my mind's eye. It but is. I, it is. Yeah. yeah I that, remember that, that ride is almost like twice the size of a, of a regular, okay. of a regulation Ferris wheel. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so Steve and I get in this thing. I, I couldn't even guess 12 years old, maybe 12 years old and super confident that between right. the two right. of us, right. we'll be able to keep this thing upright because yeah. neither one of us really wanted to go upside down. Correct. And so, yeah. so we get in this thing, uh, they take us around and, and you know, you, and Tracy, of course, you know, this, as you get on one of these fair rides, they're loading people on, they load people on in sections. So they, you know, load, they unload and load all the cars at once so that people can, then they can start the ride up properly and people get a few times before it stops again. So they, you know, put us all on and it wasn't too bad the first time. Yes, we did go upside down. Yes, we were a little freaked out, but the ride itself was going slow enough that we could kind of hold it in place and it wasn't really that big of a deal. So we, you know, we go around and of course we're just being our typical jack wagon selves and like, you know, saying to the guy operating the ride as we go by, like, hey, as, as we go by. And then the ride kicked in. And when that thing got going, it got going pretty fast. And oh, so boy. now the cart is now there's actual weight behind this. You've got you've got the actual weight of the cart. You've got the speed of the wheel. It maybe took one or two times for us to go fully around again. By that time we passed the ride operator, we were both crying and screaming for him to oh please stop the ride. Please stop oh, yeah. the ride. Now, if you've ever met one of these these ride operators at a typical carnival, they're not all cut from the same cloth, but they're I would very say, stable people. I would say sure. the vast majority of them, when they hear two young punks crying and screaming, stop the ride. That ride's not going to stop for a little while. It actually might yeah. go around a, a, a few, yeah, a few extra, a few extra spins. So yeah, I vividly remember to this day, and you guys know I don't have a great memory, but what I do remember is Steve offering to give me all the money that he had in his pocket if I could hold the ride, uh, if I could keep us upright for the remainder of the ride. He had, yeah, there, uh, was a, there was a shitload of bargaining going on there. And through the tears, I was explaining to him that I was not strong enough to hold the ride <laughs> where it needed to be. Which is super traumatic, traumatic for both of us. Like the shame of me having to say, I'm too weak to do this. I know you're strong enough. And then Dave having to turn around and tell me he's not strong. I'm enough. not, I'm not. Yeah. What, yeah. A what a sweet and vulnerable moment. And he needed that $8 and 35 cents <laughs> that I had in my pocket. Yeah. He, so we went, we went around, a, you know, obviously the, a few more times the guy wasn't stopping it anytime soon. And then at a certain point, he stopped us what i believe and again this is my my mind's eye reflecting on this many years later but i vividly remember he stopped us upside down at the top and held us there for a long time on purpose a long time right yeah right. he made sure he unloaded everybody before he unloaded us and it was it did not it was it was it's still it's still in my head. Yeah, That's, it, it, it's, it is one of those things. I, I've never been on that ride since. I will never be. On, I don't even know if that ride exists anymore. I, I it's, it still does. does it? It's okay. still there. And I, I have to tell you that uh, one one time uh, in Oregon, I have a very similar memory of that ride. And uh, I used to ride it a lot. And I was with two of my friends uh, that uh, 
that worked on the carnival with me and we were standing there next to this girl and this girl was really pretty and normally the the operator would let us three ride together to three abreast because we were small and uh but she was by herself so i got the luck of the draw and i got to ride with her and they're like making all sorts of rude gestures and all the things that 11 year old boys do so we got up in there and so i'm trying to make conversation with her she goes like completely nuts and then pees herself oh. she says yeah so i got her pee on me too uh which is you know <laughs> write that down write it, write it down, down the timestamp there write that down right and now. uh so it was one of those things where I was like, you know, she's really pretty and some of her pee is on me, but I think I still need to be nice about this and pretend like it's not that big a deal. And I did. And uh, and that's a very shaping moment for me. Like a gentleman. Uh, in my relationship with women <laughs> right. the rest of my yeah. life. Yeah. It formed a very specific yeah. kink. Yeah. Um, so so I, I talked to a therapist about this. And my therapist told me that in order to, you know, kind of conquer this, I need, I need to find that ride and ride it. You and I need so, to get back on again. <laughs> see, we together it would be ideal. Uh, so I changed therapists. Right, right. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. better have a lot more money in your pocket this time because <laughs> I, I definitely don't. <laughs> uh, okay, we're getting to headlines. I promise. Real quick. At the beginning, at the top of the show, I told, even before we went on the air, I told Tracy that I had found one of my favorite Tracy drops of all time now, and it played in that intro there. It is one of the most ridiculous, like it was isolated from a very different conversation, but that's what makes some of these drops so fantastic. And I just want to play it again in case you guys missed it. To get out, you have to push that thing away from you, which made it go up. So this was, it was, it was one of those things. Tracy looks so disgusted right now with me. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I believe we were talking about the helicopter ride. That's what's great. Yeah. This all ties together because it's all ride related, right? This is all, it's all we're bringing it all together here. Uh, but we're going to play this one more time and then we're going to go right into the headlines. To get out, you have to push that thing away from you, which made it go up. And now, straight from the Dave and Steve Show news desk in beautiful Anytown, USA Plaza, it's Tracy Green with this week's headlines. How many times do you think they played a drop like that leading Dan Rather into the nightly news? Oh, plenty. Yeah. It's uh, mostly that happened to Ted Koppel, though. It used to, <laughs> used to irritate him so much. Like it used, used to almost unvarnish his hair. Yes. <laughs> Our first story, humans could soon be able to grow new livers inside their own bodies by injecting healthy cells into their lymph nodes, scientists claim, after a successful trial in pigs. I need this. I need, I could, I could really stand to grow a new liver because I feel like I've spent 40 years ravaging the one I have now. See, that's, that's going to really mess with my retirement plan because I have kept my liver pristine and I've been planning on selling at least part of my liver to uh, fund retirement. Yeah. So yeah, that's if, if definitely people can just going grow to devalue. it, then, yeah. yeah, it's totally useless now. So scientists have grown a liver in the lymph nodes of a pig and hope it would allow humans to grow their own placement or replacement organs in the future. Livers have the ability to naturally regenerate and a sliver of the filtration organ, if transplanted, can grow to a full size and become fully functioning. 
I have to take part in these kind of things. And the reason I say that is because whether I'm morally opposed to it or not, we are going to create superhumans that will destroy those of us who do not partake in this treatment. So I feel like every <laughs> single one of these things is leading us down the path of creating our own superheroes. And I got to get on board. Otherwise, I'm going to get this is literally survival of the fittest. That's if I can't grow point. my own liver or grow my own replacement eyeballs or grow my own whatever, I, you know, it could go anywhere. But if then I'm, I'm getting left behind. Going dark. So be it. <laughs> let let him take me. That's whatever. That's fine. Totally fine with it. <laughs> Steve's on the other side. When I uh, when I grow up my third arm, I'm gonna totally come after him and punch him in the face with it. Right. But as we talked last week, we will destroy Steve only to find out that all he has is peach water and bread in a can. That's a That's fair right. point. Peach water, bread in a can, and I wanted you to destroy me the whole time. So. <laughs> So it's believed that the lymph nodes uh, provide a sanctuary for healthy liver cells, allowing them to slowly multiply and blossom into an auxiliary organ. Scientists say if this works in the future, ge future generations could experience more Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah. You can grow a whole new Gary Busey. Yeah. <laughs> One man was feeling drunk, even though he didn't drink any alcohol. The 47-year-old man had gut fermentation syndrome, also known as auto-brewery syndrome. This rare condition involves excessive fungal growth in the gut, which feeds on carbohydrates and then fuels ethanol production. Oftentimes, ABS is linked to an excessive amount of yeast in the gut. So this is a guy that's making prison toilet wine in his own stomach. It's, it's beautiful, that, really. That is next level yeah that's, via yeah. a yeast infection Oof. that's well i actually no i don't know that that was well it just said high levels of yeast you read it yourself yeah. you said it was an yeah. infection and then you said high levels of yeast what would it be yeah. it's a that's yeast infection it, that's how it works so clinicians tried putting uh, the patient on a low carb diet and of course uh many uh, antifungals but the sign of intoxication persisted according to a case study published this month in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Wait, so he was making beer in his annals? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't see the story that way. First time. Hey, hey, honey, when you're out there, uh, pick me up a six-pack six pack of Wonder Bread. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, stay away from the brown ale. Um, story number three, seeing your town covered in chocolate powder is likely one of the only things that could rival waking up to a white Christmas for many children. And for one town in Switzerland last Friday morning, it wasn't just a fantasy. The Swiss town of Olten, located between Zurich and Basel, received a surprise dusting of cocoa after a ventilation system malfunctioned at a local chocolate factory. On paper, <laughs> it sounds amazing, but we've all seen the videos of like the kids trying to eat what they think is chocolate and it's the cocoa powder. And that's the most, I would think it's probably hard to breathe. It's not like you can, and it's not like you can go out and lick a signpost. It's not going to taste great anyway. So this is probably one of those awful bait and switches for a kid where you wake up thinking it's this magical moment and then reality sets in. 
And uh, and I, I wanted to say when you when you were explaining where it happened, the the taste of chocolate and basil in my mouth, um, it, it seems like it's even too much for like a Whole Foods chocolate bar. Like that's that is not going to be acceptable. That's like um, chocolate and rosemary, chocolate and sage, chocolate and basil. It's like it's like the worst margarita pizza ever. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. But uh, yeah, there's and there's no joke there. That's just just happened, and it's in Switzerland, which is funny. That is funny. <laughs> yes. So the cat in our fourth story, the capital of Netherlands has installed hemp-filled urinals in public outdoor locations around the city as a means of combating the longtime problem of wild peeing. I have a confession to make walking with my wife tonight in our neighborhood we, we've been going on long walks and when i say long walks i mean like three and a half four mile walks so not i mean these are these are proper walks but if you don't time your peen properly on a long walk you get out in the middle of your walk and you're too far away from home to make it back you gotta go and so i today in and my neighbors don't listen to this show, so I'm fine. But in my nice neighborhood, I you found had to a hold Tess's hands while she peed on the side. No, of the but my wife was lookout for me. She oh. she was she stood out on the street proper and looked both ways to make sure nobody was coming in a car or walking. And I I'm not gonna say exactly where I went, but it was it was in the neighborhood, uh, and I just had to go. And it's one of those yep. things that does happen. You're lucky that that kid with the police t-shirt didn't show up or, or the bear, yeah. you know, yeah. if you, you, know, can you figure do not out, want a bear to walk up on you midstream. Yeah. If you can figure out a way to do it without using your hands in any meaningful way, you could like look through binoculars and pretend like you're uh, looking at birds. So there mm -hmm. is, you're, I mean, it's amazing how spot on you are in terms of my technique. I didn't look through binoculars. But but I did stand very casually while urinating with my hands sort of down to my side so that if anybody did happen up on me or anybody happened to be able to see me from a window at the right angle, it literally did look like I was just sort of looking out, surveying, standing, staring at something rather than deliberately like looking down it and trying like we normally do if we go into a urinal or something like that. I, I, I very much had a technique. I would have like used a, like uh, a... hands on hips. I would have acted like I was disgusted with something. <laughs> and if somebody had come up and said, sir, and yeah. I just would have said, I need a minute. Yeah. Keep yeah. shifting my weight back and forth. Like I'm <laughs> really agitated about something while I'm doing it. That's, oh, I, and I just thought, you know, the, if you're ever, you know, you're not, you're not pulled over when that happens. That's not, that's not how it yeah, happens. Yeah. But if, a, if, if an officer of the law comes up and asks you why you're, you're peeing outside, I think you just need to do your best to, you know, pull it, pull a tear from your eye and, and say, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the prostate's going. It's I, I, I was, I was uncomfortable. It was, it was one of those things where I had mistimed it so poorly that I was truly very uncomfortable because my wife asked me multiple times, are you sure you can't make it back? And the first couple of times I said, 
I, I don't think so, but let's just keep going. We'll walk a little bit faster. And by the third time she asked me, it was evident. I just said, I, I'm not going to make it. Like, we got to find someplace. I got to do this. So if anybody did happen to see me, I, I apologize. But it really was an emergency. I would not have made it home. I would have been like you know the girl that sat with Tracy on the skydiver. Yeah, and that's a, <laughs> that's the thing. You know, I, 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 she owes me an apology. I don't. <laughs> mind saying that but uh on a, we went on a long motorcycle uh, ride last weekend with my son and we i halfway through it i had to pee and we just happened to be at a near a uh, a friend's house that like they have some property so i was gonna stop say hi ask if i could use their bathroom but they weren't home they have some property across the road so i just went over there and i said hey we'll just pee over here and so we did and i thought you know I thought it was funny. Like, what if, you know, I didn't seen him in a week and he, he hadn't told me that he sold this part of the property and I'm actually just confidently, but I mean, it's about confidence. Like I was acting like, you know, but it could have been anybody's property. And then I realized I, I really could be peeing just anywhere. Yeah. And if I just, if I, if I can envision it in my mind that uh, I'm entitled to do this, I, no one will question me. And so that was life changing for me. So I'm going to tell this story right now. Um, Take about, us there, Isaac Hayes. About outdoor pottying. Um, I, this is one of the reasons why I have a hell of a time going outside. Um, I was on a canoe trip around Lake Coeur d'Alene, um, and I could not make it because we were camping out everywhere. And, you know, I'm like 15 years old or something, and I'm... 14, 15, something like that. And I'm, uh, and I'm mortified. Like I don't want anybody in, in the camp to know that I'm going it's, it's absolutely terrible, but it's unbearable. I go four days without going right. Wow. I mean, going number one was fine, but number two, no. Um, but on that, on that last day, I was desperate and we beached the canoe and I grabbed a shovel and I ran up this trail and up this hill and switchbacks and everything. And, you know, as far as I could, and I dig this hole and I go kind of out, you know, into the, you know, off the trail. Right. And I dig this hole and, and, and I start, I start to go. Hey, right. I'm, ju I'm just laughing because I'm thinking of somebody coming around the corner and saying, hey, when did we get a fourth canoe? <laughs> so I have run up this up the side of the hill and I'm, and I'm you know, I, I'm not used to going outside and I and I'm leaning down and I'm and I'm going and and it's 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 a lot and it's and. Cause I mean, it's, you know, four days of camp food that, right. you know, absolutely horrible, but you know, my body's thanking me the entire time. It's absolutely, it's a beautiful thing until I hear every other member of the camp coming up the trail. Um, the trail that I realize is about a foot in front of me because I ran from the switchback up the hill <laughs> and I ended up at the other switchback. <laughs> And I can see them coming around the corner and I have to yell, don't come up here. Don't 
don't come up. And they, thank God they stopped because it was not a pretty sight. First of all, you know, sure. it's an improvised, it's an improvised toilet and I am not a carpenter. So it, that it was absolutely terrible, but, um, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I don't like to go outside. Wow. There you go. This whole and episode uh, went in show. directions. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming today. Well, anyway, Richard DeFries, the inventors of Green Pea urinals, said the city <laughs> initially installed four of the urinals in 2018. Now they've added eight more and after determining that the pilot program was a success. The result was that there was a 50% reduction in wild peeing, um, and it's uh, been a great success. So there you go. He went on to say that uh, with the installation of these uh, urinals citywide, the city of Amsterdam will uh, experience less Gary Busey. Boom. Yeah. And that's the news, fellas. We're going out on that high note. Oh, yes. Well, well, we, we, we still have we still have Tracy's minute. We have to do. We do. We have to get to Tracy's minute um, before. And what, did, what did you do last week, Dave? <laughs> uh, before before we get to Tracy's minute, I just want to mention. So next week, we are going to have a very special guest with us throughout the show. Jackie Cation, who was on with us four weeks ago, five weeks ago, whatever that was. She's coming back. And not only is she coming back because we had such a great time with her. Jackie is coming back for the entire show. So she is going to be our honorary uh, Dave and Steve show co-host. She's going to sit in with us and the four of us are all going to crack wise collectively uh, on a we're going to do just a normal straightforward show. We're hoping we'll have some kind of awesome main topic or maybe Steve will come up with a game and Jackie's going to come along for that entire ride. So we're going to yeah, see how that'll be fun. She's such a tremendous uh, comedian and a great person. So it's fun. She's a hoot. She's, she's a hoot. She's a, she's a professional hoot. So it's, all right. Uh, it, it'll be good. Let's uh, let's listen to Tracy's Minute this week. On the last episode of the Dave and Steve show, Dave and Steve made a quip about how I may not be a person that values the input of others. This couldn't be further from the truth. I value the input of others, but I don't value the input of everyone. Some of you just talk to hear your own voice. Imagine someone who likes hearing their own thoughts so much that they record themselves talking for a full minute about random things and they expect you to listen. That's the type of person you should steer clear from. This has been Tracy's Did You See What I Did There? Minute. Clever. Clever as always. Nice. The uh, we're gonna have to pay extra for the the music choice though. Like that's a that's one we're gonna have to pay some licensing fees for. But yeah, anyways. well, no doubt. Yes. Okay, no, so it's not, no, that's not by no doubt. <laughs> once again, a big thank you to. Did you just crack open another peach water? No. You cracked one open when we started the show. It's a lemonade. Oh, okay. And- and I will drink as much non-alcoholic beverages as I want. <laughs> How many pills have you had today, Johnson? <laughs> I lost count so many pills ago. <laughs> no, no, I'm, yeah, this is, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, have, all right. So I want to thank, once again, I want to thank Andy Mulvihill for being on the show. Uh, fantastic interview. Go check out his book, which is entitled Action Park, Fast Times, Wild Rides, and the Untold Story of America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park. 
I know that's a long title. As I said in the interview, you can actually just go on Amazon or Google or anywhere and literally type in Action Park Book and you're going to find it. you'll get it. Yeah, yep. you, don't, you don't have to type that whole thing in. You don't have to remember the whole thing. You don't have to jot it down. So make sure you go read his book. Tell us what you think. Email the Dave and Steve Show at gmail.com. And next week, as I mentioned, we've got Jackie Cation on the show with us. She's going to sit in for the whole time. Should be an absolute blast. Tracy, Steve, anything else from you guys before we sign off for the night? I got to use our new shower for the first time, and it was glorious. Nope, we're moving on. Tracy, anything from you? No, no, not a thing. All right, then we're going to wrap things up for Steve, for Tracy. We will talk to you all next time on The Dave and Steve Show.